Hey guys, what's going on? Uh, this is Aaron coming at you as I like to do from time to time, just kind of off the cuff about some stuff that I viewed uh, in my private life, as it were. Uh, some recommendations, just some thoughts and musings on some stuff that maybe some of you guys haven't heard of or aren't aware of. I uh, hope everybody's new year is shaping out to be better than last. And, uh, you know, thanks as always for listening. Please consider, if you haven't yet, subscribing uh, through Podbean, iTunes, wherever it is that you are. Um, and please give us a review if you can. Uh, Facebook, iTunes, those are probably the two most important places. Uh, but that stuff really helps us. You know, if we can show a sponsorship number, or uh, two sponsors, if we can show a membership number, consistent downloads, people that are kind of dialed in, it helps. Um, you know, we've had a good amount of downloads, uh, but I don't think everybody, you know, maybe you're just not sure how to subscribe or whatever. Um, but if you can figure that out for us, if you can give us that kind of like, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, it's the best thing you can do for us, apart from listening and commenting and telling us, you know, your thoughts and feelings and everything else. Um, so now that nonsense is out of the way, I, I kind of got inspired to do this today uh, because I came back uh, as part of my Christmas gift. My dad was kind enough to take me to the movies, uh, but it wasn't just a movie. It was a live performance from London of uh, Harold Pinter's No Man's Land starring Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, both of them, of course, with a sir in their name. Um, Harold Pinter, for those of you that might not know, uh, was a playwright, a British playwright, very famous playwright. Uh, he's known for his language. Uh, it's not so much about what's being said, it's about the intent. It's about what's not being said. It's about pauses. There's something known as the Pinter pause because he will write into his scripts, you know, the word pause. And then it's not just about taking a breath. There are beats, there are pauses, they're all different. Um, and he's become my favorite writer of all time, uh, playwright, and uh, he's influenced a lot of my work and my thought process. And so, you know, to see this performed, and performed live, they did a question and answer afterwards, which was pretty cool too. So that's where I've been all day, uh, you know, and thanks to my dad for doing that for me. And, uh, you know, so it just kind of inspired me. I realized I'd watched, I've watched a good amount of stuff over the past week or so, so I wanted to just get some of it out and just kind of do my thing. Um, what I watched most recently, which was last night, uh, is a film called The Duelists. Now, this is from 1977, and it's Ridley Scott's first movie, uh, feature film. So Ridley Scott, of course, of Blade Runner and Alien fame, amongst many, many others. And this is his feature film debut. He'd been doing a lot of TV commercials, and so this was his first foray. Uh, it's an interesting movie. Um, it's pretty much universally... Approved. Um, I don't know that I can say that I universally approve of it. It's an interesting movie. Um, it's about members of the French Revolution during that time period, soldiers, who are locked into this dueling mentality for years and years and years. Uh, Keith Carradine, uh, brother of David, half-brother of David, of course, and um, Harvey Keitel are the main actors. And what it is is that Keith, Keith Carradine's character one day has to place Harvey Keitel's under house arrest. Uh, and the reason is that he had been in a duel earlier in the day with the mayor's son. And the mayor's son doesn't die, but it's kind of a big deal. So he has to place him under house arrest. But because Keitel's character 
is in the house of a very kind of prominent woman, he looks at it as a personal insult and demands, you know, honor be made. Keith Carradine's character is far more level-headed and is just saying, I'm just the messenger. What, <laughs> I didn't, you know, it's not a personal grievance. Nevertheless, they fight. Um, but they both live. So over the course of 15 years, they duel four or five different times. You know, months pass, then years will pass, but they inevitably are both still soldiers, come through the ranks, and uh, always have to meet up. One wins one, one wins the other, but they never die. Um, it's based on a true story. Uh, apparently there were two men uh, in Napoleon's regime or in the French you know, regime of, of fighters during the French Revolution period that this is based on. Uh, this is also based on Joseph Conrad's story who wrote the utterly horrible Heart of Darkness. I don't know if anyone else had to read that in high school, but I, I couldn't deal with it. Anyways, it's based on a short story by him, which is based on the true story. Um, so it's very interesting, you know, and it, it's a it's a cool concept. Um, the the apparently the dress, you know, the clothing and all that kind of thing is extremely accurate uh, to a portrayal of you know the early eighteen hundreds. Um, you know, it's an interesting film. I can't say that I love it. I've watched it before when I was much younger, and I just kind of had an inkling to do it again. Um, Love Harvey Keitel, uh, one of my favorite actors of all time. Keith Carradine's interesting choices that he's made throughout his career as well. Um, they're kind of odd choices to do this, especially considering that pretty much everybody else in it is British. Um, so, you know, it, it lends itself to you just kind of having to suspend your disbelief in that regard. Um, the script is okay. The acting is is good, uh, I think Keitel gets the nod over Carradine. There are sometimes Keith Carradine's character is just so, you know, understated. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say wooden, but definitely it's just kind of there, you know, where Keitel definitely has more uh, flamboyancy and more energy in engagement in what he's doing. Now, to be fair, part of that is the characters. Keitel's character is a notorious dueler, and he has this huge propensity for violence, and, uh, you know, so there's a little bit more to deal with, perhaps, in an emotional range. But nevertheless, I think his performance is better. Uh, not to say the Carradines isn't good, but it's not as good. Um, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, not being a vomitous scale, I give this a 6.5 or a 7. Um, worth a watch if you're interested in any kind of history or period piece. Um, not a lot happens in relation to real violence in the film. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting character study. Definitely not for everybody, but just an interesting kind of, you know, smaller film. Of course, by a director who, you know, would go on to be one of the biggest, arguably, of all time. Uh, another movie that I watched recently uh, was uh, American Gigolo. And this is a film from 1980, uh, directed by Paul Schrader, who, of course, wrote Taxi Driver, uh, wrote Raging Bull, uh, directed Blue Collar, Hardcore, Affliction. Um, so a very interesting guy and, and someone who, growing up, you know, his movies and his scripts definitely impacted me as well. Um, American Gigolo is about uh, a guy, Julian Kay, who, of course, surprisingly, is a, is a gigolo, who also lives in America. Uh, he lives in California. It's played by Richard Gere, a very, very young, very fit Richard Gere. 
Uh, and basically what happens is, you know, he kind of accepts a trick. He has two pimps that, you know, give him work. And he kind of takes one on the fly. And then several days later, the trick, the female, uh, is murdered. And so it's very evident not much longer afterwards that uh, he's kind of being framed. He's being set up. Something's going on. Okay? And so then it goes from him being just kind of this narcissistic, kind of shallow guy who's good-looking and has sex with women for a lot of money uh, to him being, you know, nervous and unshaven and desperately trying to find an alibi. And what I find interesting about it is that it's not so much that he knows he's innocent. It's that I need an alibi. He can't prove it. Okay, fine. But it's not so much about saying I'm innocent as I need an alibi. So I found that very interesting. Um, it's beautifully shot. The colors are great. Uh, it's also got Lauren Hutton, uh, Bill Duke in a small role. Um, it's just a really cool movie. There's nothing else that I can really describe it as. Uh, originally, it was a movie that was supposed to be uh, a John Travolta vehicle. But Travolta was having reservations and pulled out uh, because there's a lot of gay undertone in the movie. Um, and Travolta at the time apparently was going through a pretty big kind of thing in relation to that he might be gay. And uh, so, you know, he, he was very shy about that stigma. And uh, also, I believe his mother had just passed, something like that. So he had had a pretty bad traumatic thing happen. And also with the gay undertone idea. Um, and so Richard Gere ended up stepping in. Paul Schrader really kind of wanted him for that and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and what's interesting is that there are references to certain things about Julian and what he may or may not have done in yesteryears. And not even necessarily yesteryears as in 10 or 15 years pre previous, but maybe in the more recent past than that. Um, there's references made to it, and he's very specific and adamant about that stuff. But then, in the second half of the film, when he's becoming more and more desperate, he has to kind of go back to some places that he probably hasn't been for quite a while. And in one scene in particular, he ends up in a gay club where Bill Duke's character, one of his pimps, is. And his character is clearly gay and, and has a young boy, a young, pretty blonde boy who may have been Julian at one point. You know, years earlier. And Bill Duke's character says to him, Oh, homecoming, huh? So, you can see where that kind of leads. Now, it doesn't really come out a ton in the first half of the film, but as it progresses, like I said, and he becomes more desperate, it does. It's a very interesting, you know, it's just an interesting vehicle. And what really makes it interesting in relation to that part of the subtext or, or that part of the the, the story is that Gear plays the role with a very icy detachment. He plays the role kind of at arm's length. Um, he actually meets a woman who interests him, who he's attracted to, who he wants to actually do something with. And she says at one point that she can't really make love to him because she feels like it's automatic, that uh, you know what he's doing is just kind of what he's it's ingrained in him to do. He's very good at pleasuring women. Um, but what's authentic about it? And so it's very interesting, but he, you know, I, to me, what I garnered out of it was given what had happened to him and what he had been subjected to do, which is not to say that there's anything wrong with that, of course, 
But if that's not who you are, then of course it's going to be something that you don't want to do. Um, and it's very evident that that has impacted him in a certain way. You know, a man, a male prostitute who is not gay but has to do gay tricks, it's understandable why that could make him uncomfortable, just as it would be for a gay prostitute who has to turn tricks with women. I can't imagine that it would necessarily be that pleasurable or enjoyable, certainly for your mental state. So it's very evident that things that he'd done in the past affect the way that he acts now, affect the way that he looks at things. And I think that it gives him an unnatural detachment from feeling and emotion. And, you know, who knows what else has happened. You know, there may have been rough things that have happened, bad things, gets beat up, whatever it might be. But it's just an interesting character study uh, with, you know, what I think is Richard Gere's best performance, you know, that I've seen. Uh, I've never been the biggest Gere fan. Uh, he's done some good work, you know, but I've always thought that he was, you know, kind of, meh, as a performer. Um, but this is definitely the best thing I've ever seen him do. Highly recommend it. I'm actually going to probably watch it again sooner than later. Uh, just a really cool, really good movie. Neat, very interesting. Ask some interesting questions. Great performance by Gear, and it looks good. You know, it's shot all in like Malibu, California, and stuff like that. So, really, really great colors. Blondie's "Call Me" is the uh, the theme song for it. So, definitely rate that one high. Rate that one as you know a nine or a ten, for sure. Maybe even a ten. I think that's safe to say for that. Um, so you know, those have been the really big ones that I saw. Uh, recently, just interesting stuff. You know, I've been I've been kind of on this kick where I've wanted to go off the beaten path a little bit and go retro. The last film that I'll talk about in this kind of just off the cuff is a 2001 movie from uh, Larry Larry Clark. Uh, it's called Bully. Now, for anybody that might not know, Larry Clark is the guy that also did Kids uh, from 1995 that kind of launched Chloe Sevigny and Rosario Dawson's careers and all that kind of thing. And that, of course, is about AIDS amongst teenagers. And Bully is based on a true story. It's about the murder of Bobby Kent down in this kind of real backwater area of Florida uh, during the late 90s. And basically, he had a relationship with another boy, young man, uh, Marty Puccio, who he was extremely abusive towards verbally, mentally, physically. Um, and there's a lot of suggestion of sexually as well. Um, Basically, the boys had been best friends since childhood, but he had always been aggressive like this, always just, you know, one of those kind of sociopathic, domineering kind of people. Uh, so, you know, these are people that don't necessarily have a lot of education, come from poor neighborhoods, whatever it may be. So a lot of times, you know, the mentality is, how do I get out of this? I don't know how, I don't know how. Especially if you don't have prospects. You know, Marty uh, was, a college, was a high school dropout, you know, stuff like that. And so if you're not in a position where you feel like you can get out of it, you know, if you don't see a future, you don't have an education, you know, things can definitely get desperate quicker than maybe they have to be. So what happens is, you know, he meets a girl and they get pregnant. Um, but there's a lot of ambiguity here. You know, these kids are fueled. And when I say kids, I mean 17, 18, maybe, maybe around 21. But, you know, they're all living at home still. You know, they're in high school, at least some of them. You know, so they're young. They're still kids. And their whole days are fueled by drinking and drugs 
You know, and that's everything from, you know, from pot to acid to everything in between. You know, they're all smoking, they're all drinking, they're all doing some kind of drug, driving around in cars and having sex. And, uh, you know, so Lisa, uh, you know, Marty's girlfriend, you know, she's pregnant. There's suggestion that it could actually be Bobby's because she's been with both of them. But she maintains adamant that it's Marty's. But she hates Bobby. You know, Marty really hates Bobby. But she really hates him because of what he's doing to the man that she loves, the boy that she loves. So they plot to murder him with some other friends. And this group of kids ends up killing this guy. Um, And like I said, it's based on a true story. It's definitely different from the reality of it. I've done a little digging into it a couple times. Um, it's not the first time I've watched the movie. I've probably watched it a half a dozen times. It's, it's a very good film. Um, and, you know, in the real story, um, you know, Bobby Kent was somebody who was looked at in two different ways. Kids looked at him one way, adults looked at him another. And that's kind of portrayed in the movie. But an interesting theme in, in Larry Clark's movies are, you know, the parents are kind of not there you know, in kids, I don't, I don't recall if there's a parent in the whole thing. Or, you know, it's kind of just like the Peanuts kid, you know, father and mother, you know, just kind of, and then they're in and out. In Bully, there are parents around, but they're always on the periphery. Oh, what are you kids doing tonight? Okay, have fun. Be safe. You know, you really shouldn't hang out with him. Oh, well, okay. You know, this, that, and the other. Or, you know, it's a single mom, and, you know, the daughter has, you know, five or six people in her room, and just okay what's going on you know and so it's kind of this very very these very detached uh parents so it's all about the kids and it's all about these young adults in this sense and what's going on and what's happening in their kind of microcosm so uh it's a really interesting movie you know it's it's a character piece um it's got nick stahl as bobby kent and brad renfro as uh, Marty Puccio, and uh, Rachel Miner as Lisa, Bijou Phillips is in it as Allie, uh, a couple others. Um, of course, uh, Brad Renfro is no longer with us. This was one of his final movies that he uh, he did. He died within a few other years after he did The Informers, which is an adaptation of Brady Snellis' short, short story compilation. And it's a shame because Brad Renfro is really a kid that, you know, you watch him, he did that, he was an apt pupil, um, you know, really a talent, really had something to him. I always was a fan of his work, and he died, you know, very sad, died from a drug overdose, you know, wasn't able to shake that demon. Um, it's interesting listening to an interview with Larry Clark on Brett Easton Ellis' podcast, and they talked a lot about Bully and, uh, you know, how Larry Clark picked him up and drove him halfway across the country uh, to down to Florida to shoot this movie because he was from Oklahoma or Kansas, something like that, somewhere around the Midwest. And he picks him up around his birthday, and he's just, like, shooting up cocaine, and he's doing all this stuff. And so uh, Larry Clark, you know, he says he's driving to Florida as he's forcing this kid to detox and is in the seat next to him. And, uh, you know, so just interesting stuff like that and how they always had to have somebody watch him and make sure that he was there and okay and this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, and then unfortunately, of course, his his time passed far too early. Uh, I definitely recommend Bully for anybody that likes, you know, a cool little indie flick 
Uh, you know, just a low-budget character piece. Interesting script, interesting story. And, uh, you know, really great performances. So definitely recommend that one as well. Uh, the last thing that I'll mention here, then, is uh, Perfect Blue. It's an anime uh, from, I believe, 1997. Total psychological Hitchcockian kind of thing. A pop star over in Japan uh, tries to turn her hand into acting, and someone doesn't care for her choices and starts representing her online, starts slandering her good name, uh, and then it's all about duality and, you know, did I really do this? You know, who am I? Who are you? What's going on? Um, so it's super Hitchcocky in like a vertigo or psycho kind of way. Really, really great. Um, voice acting's good in both Japanese and English. You know, animation might look a little dated today because it's 20 years old, but uh, totally worth it. That's actually a piece that I own. I own Perfect Blue. That's uh, based on a novel, which I don't believe has ever been translated into English, and I look every now and again for it, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. So here's hoping one day. Definitely recommend Perfect Blue uh, to anyone that likes animation or at least, you know, isn't opposed to it. You know, some people are so anti-anime uh, regardless of the story. But this is definitely not for kids. This is a 100% uh, adult drama. Uh, and not a, you know, not a hedonistic or hentai kind of thing either. Uh, just a really, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very well-received, uh, you know, story. So highly recommend that one as well. So we got the, you know, so we got three up and one kind of in the middle, um, but that's it, you know, so some stuff to kind of occupy you guys if you're looking for something that's a little bit off the beaten path or a little bit older. As always, again, thanks for listening, thanks for hearing me ramble, and, uh, you know, get in touch. You know, we were excited to keep this going with Season 2, uh, which we started already. Uh, I still have a few more episodes to get up in relation to Season 1, and those will be coming at you hopefully a little faster and furious. And, uh, you know, we're going to have more guests on this season and all that good stuff. So thanks, as always, for listening. Speak to you soon. Goodbye.